Hello, everyone, and welcome again to I Was a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm your host, M, and this is episode number three of I Was a Seventh-day Adventist. We have a guest with us today. Nero is here. Um, before I bring him in and, and we hear his story, I'd like to thank Kay for coming on last time and sharing with us and gotten some good responses and I'm very excited to move forward with this show and have her back on. She's going to be a regular. We've been talking quite a bit since recording and subsequently releasing the show and it's uh, everything's going in a positive direction. So big thank you to Kay for coming on and now I'm going to turn it over to Nero who is here. Uh, he is one of the Redditors that reached out when I made my initial post about starting this podcast. And Nero, you're here. Uh, you've had quite an interesting experience with Adventism. So if you would, please give us a little rundown of what inspired you to message me and your kind of your experience through the uh, SDA cult or religion or whatever you want to call it. Ready, yeah. Um, generally, our, uh, in the beginning, I just started using that subreddit out of frustration. Uh, you know, I watched it, didn't participate too much over the years. And I noticed that it kept growing and growing, and that there are a lot of people actually, you know, struggling with crap they had to deal with in the past because of this religion. And that you know, it became kind of a comfort knowing I wasn't alone in my frustration with leaving the Seventh-day Adventist church. Yeah, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it sounds like you're not really frustrated that you got out. You're happy that you got out, but you feel like you're in kind of a limbo state. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're not really certain where you fit in right now or what resources you have. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, you grew up SDA, right? You from as a child, correct? Yeah, third generation. And your involvement in the school system, did you join as a as a child like K through 12 or um I know you you said you went to the Adventist school system, but at how much involvement did you have in that? Um I didn't join the Adventist school system until about 7th grade, but yeah. Okay, so that's seventh grade is like what twelve or thirteen years old, I think. Um, and you're the first person I've spoken with who's really mentioned that they've they've gone from a non-Adventist school system into the Adventist school system. I've known some people who went the opposite; they left the Adventist school system. Um, but going from a non-Adventist, I presume, public system into the SDA system was there kind of a culture shock or, or how, what was that like? In, back when I was that age, I was kind of oblivious. I thought initially like, wow, these people are really sheltered and kind of innocent and naive, nicer, but also more passive aggressive than in public school. Which is sad because at that age, the, that seventh grade age, Picking up that a group of people is passive aggressive, or that it, that a group 
is less than less than positive to be around, and they're a group like a church. Um, yeah, that's that says a lot about the type of people that there are. If if children are picking up on on their subtleties, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was also in Pathfinders every Sunday. Went to Sabbath school and church every Saturday, and I, in I was in the Adventist school system, so pretty much seven days a week I was involved with Adventists all the time. Uh, see, our our Pathfinders when I was a lot younger, through probably fifth or sixth grade, it was on Wednesday nights, and then it shifted to Saturdays. So Saturday consisted of waking up getting dressed, doing all that, going to church, having potluck, changing, having pathfinders, and then sometimes a some sort of service or gathering in the evening. Uh, and it wasn't until I got a little, probably farther through middle school into high school, that they shifted it to Sundays. And then as I got farther in high school and, and into young adulthood, I realized that that shift was just to keep us occupied seven days a week. Oh yeah, they yeah. With yeah, with Adventism, they wanted it fully immersive. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, keeping you so busy you can't think for yourself. Not just that, but they don't want you to be influenced by anyone who thinks differently. So much that. Our school and the Adventist schools in our state would go as far as to be proud of the fact that they wouldn't release the school calendar for the school year or the semester or or what have you before the public schools released theirs because they wanted to make sure that our breaks and days off, teacher work days, things like that, didn't line up with the public schools so that we weren't having time off throughout the you know the school year to be influenced by them or to be around them and they're very proud of that. I've spoken to others who have said theirs did that as well. Did did yours do anything like that or uh you know I think they might have mentioned something like that once but I, I think they were more focused on keeping us busy all the time or now that I think about it, I think we might have standard followed the standard one, like, you know, take spring break when the others took spring break and summer break when the others took summer break. But um, I, I think that they expected us to be so busy with extracurricular church stuff that we wouldn't really even have a chance to, you know, associate with public school kids, even if we had the same schedule. Yeah, that that makes sense. And then, so now at seventh grade, you began what I would call the <clears throat> the fully immersive Seventh Day Adventist religious experience. Yeah, yeah. So, at this point, now can you kind of take us through your journey through the Adventist school system, and then out, and what got you to the point where you started to see the red flags and trying to remove yourself from from that environment it actually took me a while to see the red flags um what really changed my perspective was i mentioned how uh i went through what i described as attack therapy right yeah yep 
Yes, so not only did I have to deal with the Adventist school system seven days a week, but I had to deal with the troubled teen industry two days, one to two days out of every week, too. Now, to clarify for the listeners, you and I have spoke about this before. This is not an SDA-run organization, correct? Yeah, but the SDAs definitely didn't help. Right. Okay. I I was just more of asking that for for clarification for our audience. Um, And now, one question I had that I didn't ask you before we started recording. The SDAs influenced this organization, or did the organization kind of influence the SDA uh, staff? It was more the the outside institution influencing the SDAs, but I mean, regardless, I didn't really stand any chance either way. Now, if you don't mind me asking, what prompted your parents to make the misguided choice to involve you in that organization, to, to get you involved in that uh, troubled teen industry that, that you became a, a part of? I had developmental and behavioral issues when I was younger. Oh, I've uh, I've seen firsthand the the way the SDA school system handles those sorts of things. So I can't imagine that they really did anything to help or or make you feel supported. Yeah, I was pretty much shunned the entire time, which is awful. But it's not surprising given what we talked about last week with Kay and how it kind of seems like anyone who doesn't align with how they think you should think, act, or, or, you know, behave is pretty much pushed aside. There's not actually a real support system for people who have any sort of difference, uh, personality or identity or uh, mental health issue. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is if they took a minute to get to know me and why I was acting up, and that's because I was trying to escape, uh, the counselor I saw, like, have you heard of the troubled teen industry, the Elon school, those things? Yeah, yep. I, uh, one of the podcasts I listened to kind of turned me on to researching about it, and I had, uh, someone that I knew previously had been forced to go to a place called Project Patch in Idaho. So, yeah, I'm familiar with them. Yeah, yeah, and you know how they'll, like, humiliate you in front of groups of people, and yep. they'll, you know, use your insecurities to, like, try to mentally break you down and ruin you so that they can get you to conform. Yep, yep, I've heard all that. Yeah. So I was dealing with all of that, and that made me act up in the school system because I was one of the things that the counselor would attack me for was not, you know, socializing enough, not having friends. So I, I, because I was desperate to get him to stop attacking me for that, I would act up in school because I didn't know any other way to try to get attention then. And that led to me getting shot more and more. Um, and it was like a vicious cycle where I would get attacked more because people didn't want anything to do with me. I was being shunned. So I'd, you know, he'd attack me more for it. I'd act up more because I didn't know what else to do. And it, uh, 
you know, it just went like that in that cycle for years. It um, really messed with my development. And uh, if any of the people at this church school, instead of just referred to me as a bad apple and shunned me like they did and took some time to actually, you know, care and do the right thing and try to find out why I was acting up, maybe that could have been stopped. Yeah. It, there's a there's a song I'm sure you're familiar with from the like Sabbath school when we were kids uh, genre of music that says uh, I'm trying to think how the the tune it says I I just want to be a sheep ba 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 and then it repeats that a few times and some other shit yeah yeah I remember that 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 song I feel like from a young age really pushes on Adventists that you need to fall in line, you need to stay within the boundaries, you need to play by our rules that we set, and any deviation from that, if it's not approved by the writings of Ellen G. White or the church doctrine or the church elders and and leadership, uh, people tend to not not even consider any sort of deviation or consider trying a different approach to things because it's been so drilled in their head starting as kids with that song of just we have leaders for a reason and if they're not taking this action then that must mean that whatever they're doing is right and it it just to me it seems like that's kind of how that mentality works and it's a very flawed mentality I feel like yeah, yeah, but basically, uh, there there definitely was a persona they were trying to force onto everybody. Yeah, and it was pretty blatant. Yeah, and I saw growing up and and getting to where I was of an age to to really understand what I was seeing. I saw some things that you'd have someone experiencing a problem, or there would be an issue that would arise, and you're going, well, this is a course of action that hasn't been tried and maybe if we try it 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 might produce a more positive result and people who are in leadership positions are are going well no this is this is how we're going to do it and then people just falling in line and going oh okay well well then we're going to leave it alone because they know what's best because they've been put in this position by god or or they've been put in this position somehow and so nothing is really accomplished and there's no progress yeah i think a lot of them like it, it reminds me of another story. There, in Pathfinders, there was a schizophrenic homeless guy. He would come into church and sit in the church. And uh, it's obvious he was horrifically abused as a child because whenever I spoke to him, he talked about how his father would beat him, uh, molest him, uh, it just beat him bloody and all this horrible stuff. And it, it broke his mind. And I was the only person to really learn this because I, I was the only one who talked to him. And because I, because of my developmental issues at the time, I was more focused on, well, wouldn't Jesus want us to talk to him? Not to stroke my own ego, but, you know, and treat him well. And all the other uh, Adventists there, you know, they just 
acted like this guy didn't exist. And, um, uh, I remember, um, you know, trying to help people. I was trying to give this guy, you know, some comfort, uh, you know, and you're willing to listen. And I remember some of the Pathfinder leaders who were there, you know, uh, in church, like during the potluck when you'd show up or something like that. They, they started mocking me for it. Like, who's your friend? Ha ha ha. You, you two are like peas in a pod. And it's like, why am I being mocked for trying to help and comfort a mentally ill person? You know, when the Bible says to help people like this, just because I couldn't catch on to the cue that, oh, he was shunned because he was crazy. Well, he made them uncomfortable. um, The situation made them uncomfortable. Yeah, but also plays back into your main point. Like, they don't want to step out of line to actually help people because they'll have repercussions. Yeah, they don't. They're very much about structure and organization. Did you ever sell the the little candy bars for a fundraiser? Yeah, we would go to door to door selling them. I remember one year we were selling those to raise money so that we could go to some uh, camping trip, camp out, uh, Pathfinder thing. And each of us kids had a goal to get this many orders. And then what we would do is we would we take the order form and we were supposed to go door to door and sell them or, or contact you know family and friends and get them to to order these candies and then we would take the order and the money back and then the leadership would place the order and then we would deliver the order. My, I had a parent who worked in a huge medical center and had worked there for 20 plus years and knew everyone there. And, and so they just took it to their job and got an incredible amount of uh, an incredible turnout, I guess, uh, showing a lot of orders, a lot of interest. And we had a kid who was my friend, and he had a less than ideal living situation. A, a one parent, multiple child household, not a lot of income. The parent didn't have a lot of time to supervise this kid going out and selling these things. So I said, hey, listen, why don't you give me your form and I'll have my parent take it to work tomorrow instead of mine. And then that'll, I'm sure, more than than meet your goal. It'll surpass your goal by a, a long shot. And they were really happy and, and their parent was, was thankful to mine for doing that. And we came in and we turned in our, our orders at the next Pathfinder meeting. said, look, you know, we, each, we got it enough. And the leadership was mad at us because we hadn't followed the rules. And the rules were I had to accomplish my goal and he had to accomplish his. And I said, why does it matter how we, how we did this? He clearly has a different set of circumstances than I do. And the money is coming in no matter how the orders were accomplished. This should be a good thing. And instead, we were criticized and told that, you know, we were operating outside of the rules and we didn't follow the rules and basically chastised for 
you know, I was trying to help someone who I perceived as being in a less fortunate situation, and I'm looking at these adults going, aren't we supposed to try and help people and, and support people? You preach this, you t- talk about this in your meetings and in your services and, and all that, and yet you're you're shooting me down for doing that. Yes, they were absolutely ruthless. Like, they would shun people for not having a lot of money that was another thing that would get you you know like demoted in social rank there because you know happenstances against you your control like the situation your parents are in um there is definitely a bias towards the kids of parents with more money yeah yeah uh it's very evident in in some churches more than others but as a majority I've I've seen that, and it's it's very against the things they say they are uh, actually in favor of, which you know hypocrisy is not something that surprises me about the SDA church. You mentioned the troubled teen industry and your involvement in that, and that there was an experience or experiences that really showcased how it and the Adventist church worked together to negatively affect you and the Adventist church kind of let it uh, happen. It was really only one experience, but that one experience was enough to completely transform everything. Um, so I was diagnosed with a disability and I'm doing fine now. I have a decent job. I have a girlfriend. I've, gotten past that but uh, with no help from the SDAs or this guy but basically um he decided that and I don't want to say the disability because it might reveal who I am too but um he decided that he wanted to tell my SDA class about my disability and his this is without your consent right I mean, technically, he had my consent, but he really didn't. I screamed and shouted, no, don't tell them, no. They're going to, they're going to act like I'm a freak. They're going to want nothing to do with me, which is what happened the rest of my time in the Adventist school system, like the other, you know, five, six years after that. Um, eventually, he convinces my parents, because he controlled my parents, basically, by manipulating them that uh well we need to tell them and he was of the opinion that well if you tell people they'll understand people are better about this nowadays he didn't understand <laughs> what sdas are like at all um so after kicking and screaming no don't tell them for ages and ages eventually they go look we're going to tell him or my parents go, look, he's going to tell him like, there's nothing you can do about it. We're your guardians. It's our decision. So they pull me out of school for day a day while he comes in. I don't know exactly what was said, but, uh, from that point on, I was kind of treated like special ed, even though I understood I was being treated like that. And, I don't want to sound, you know, like I'm bragging or something. 
I have a higher IQ and ended better off than a lot of the people there. Well, it's not not bragging. It's it's a fact. A lot of people misunderstand mental illnesses and various neurodivergencies. They think, oh, there's something misfiring or there's something that's not present or not working right, when really a lot of it is just the brain is reallocating resources and it's maybe some social cues are missed or some there's some social things that, that aren't quite being given the amount of resources that a quote-unquote normal person would get, but those resources are going to intelligence instead. Yeah, and eventually I managed to be able to hold conversations a lot better than I used to. Like, back then, it was obvious I was, you know, some kind of rambunctious misfit, but, you know, at my job, in my relationship, uh, with my friends, I fit in a lot better, and on the surface, I seem a lot less uh, challenged than I used to. But the thing is, is the the entire time, I was aware of what they were treating me like, of how they were treating me differently, and they were so self-absorbed they couldn't even comprehend that. They just thought, "Oh, what an idiot!" Yeah, and that's a common theme too: is that they are so used to this is how I've been taught to think and act that they don't really see anything wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally self-absorbed narcissists. It's, it's, I think it's a part of being told they're like God's chosen remnant and everybody else is going to burn and all of that stuff. I always had a difficult time with that whole, we're the chosen ones and, and everyone else is going to hell mindset. Uh, one of my favorite jokes, uh, just to lighten the mood here for a, a minute, uh, one of my favorite jokes is about a bus full of people that dies, and as the story goes, they go to the pearly gates, and St. Peter is there waiting for them, and he takes them on the tour, and you've got the, the tree of life, and you've got the streets of gold, and the sea of glass, and the river of whatever the hell the river's made out of and the the marble walls and all the fanciness that that you know is described biblically as being part of heaven and the mansions and the, the god's throne room and all that and then he takes them to this giant what could only be considered like a uh, convention center of massive proportions and he's taking them down this hall and there are these banquet rooms or, or meeting spaces and he says this is where the Buddhists are and this is where the Catholics are and the, the Muslims are here and then he puts his hands up he says we have to be very very quiet when we pass these next doors because that's where the Seventh-day Adventists are and <laughs> they think that they're the only ones here <laughs> oh that's great and it's it's a fun joke it's a it's a joke that's gotten me some looks from some Seventh-day Adventists. But it's true in that they they think that as long as you're a part of the group and you follow the group's rules, that's all you need to do. They don't look past that. They they see, okay, we're, we're following these standards, so we're good to go. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And the funny thing is, is there's so much evidence coming out nowadays that... Ellen G. White was a forger or a, uh, what was the term, why is it, 
when you copy things like i know this uh, um a uh plagiarism plagiarism. yep plagiarism plagiarist yeah definitely she's a plagiarist there's failed prophecies that the church is that the church suppresses things like that and not to veer off track but the more you dig into that where you realize there's really no value to value to anything these people say at all. Well, they're so focused on like I probably have been saying this over and over, but following their rules, they don't look outside of them at a bigger picture at all because they they don't recognize that it exists to be looked at. There's a story I read about some conference the uh, the. Southern European or Southeast European conference or or what have you, uh, a leader sh- the how do I put this? The daughter of one of their leaders made an allegation, came out and made a statement, gave an interview talking about abuse and uh, sexual abuse and and emotional and mental abuse that she suffered while she was in the church and. And some other things. And they tried to discount what she said. They tried to write it off and and speak against what she said. And the argument they used was not that what she was saying was wrong, not that these are false allegations, but that she gave an interview on the Sabbath, which was a big thing I I read in, in the article. She gave an interview on the Sabbath to this commercial news organization and because that is wrong against the SDA teachings the father who is the high up in the organization should have done more to try and stop her from from speaking out <laughs> yeah it, it she it blew my mind cuz it's like they're not denying what she said they're saying that well she gave the interview on the sabbath so she's the one in the wrong here and they're also saying that he should have censored her he should have not censored censured her uh they're saying he should have censured her and and basically made her uh get what she said approved by him before she spoke out on such a national stage and i i thought that was amusing but also unfortunate sure i read somebody somewhere that there's uh six ex-adventists for every one adventist or active Adventist in North America and uh, North America, but probably like in the Anglosphere too, in general. Um, and it's because of stuff like that, that number is going to get worse in the Anglosphere in North America. It's going to be, there's soon eight ex Adventists for every active Adventist and, and some more time, more generations, 20. It's, at least in North America and the Anglosphere, it's uh, going to get worse, and it's a situation of their own making, which is the real uh, comedic part, in my opinion. There's a there's a meme going around, and I I want to say it's Eric Andre. I don't have it right in front of me, um, but it's there's a guy sitting in the chair that has fallen over, and the the guy yeah. standing in front of him has shot him and and then kind of turns around and and looks at the camera like 
oh, I'm confused why this person is dead. Oh, yeah, that's Eric Andre. Yeah. Okay, good, good. I, I'm not going completely crazy. But I feel like that's what the Adventist church is doing. They are saying, well, they're, oh, let's treat people terribly, let's judge people, let's, let's create an unwelcome environment. And they're also saying, well, why are these younger people leaving the church? I don't understand. Uh, just, you know, take a look at yourselves. And I feel like with your situation, it falls right in line with that. Like, it started out, yes, other kids. Kids are going to be kids. But the adults, instead of stepping in and showing kids by example, I feel like they showed the kids an example of the exact opposite of how you should treat someone going through what you were going with. Oh, yeah. It got to the point where even the teachers were joking that I'm retarded behind my back. Jesus. That's... I can't even... There's no words for that. That's that's absurd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it doesn't make sense. I, I guess I can't compute, because I'm a functioning member of society, how it's okay for someone who's in a leadership role, who's supposed to be an example for especially young people, to treat someone like that... It, and just think that's fine. It, I, it doesn't make any sense. But anyhow, so you you went through the school system from seventh grade until, and you said you didn't graduate. But at what point did you leave the? At what point did you stop being part of the school system? Yeah, the last half of my senior year. Um, I. I don't want to elaborate on exactly what happened because that might also give away who I am, but uh, uh, something happened and uh, the shunning went from, you know, being ostracized and, you know, being looked down on to everybody that saw me had a face like uh, some kind of fucking lunatic. And my, yeah, it was just a terrible situation. I was harassed so badly I couldn't take it anymore, and I snapped, basically. But um, but uh, I I got into a huge fight with my parents. And I screamed and yelled back and forth with them for hours and hours. I'm not going to the school anymore. Transfer me back to the public school. Uh, I, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'll drop out if you don't transfer me. I don't care anymore. And then the, the transfer obviously happened. And how did you notice, if you noticed a difference in the the two school systems? Was there a drastic difference between the two systems? In the public system... When I first got in there, I had been shunned so badly that I really couldn't even hold the conversation with anybody. Like, I would just stutter and space out. And I, I wouldn't, I, I literally couldn't talk to anybody. I was shunned so badly for so many years that it was like somebody trying to have a conversation with me, like more than just a few words or saying something horrible and insulting and passive aggressive to me. Like, I really don't know how to respond to that, so I just 
blank out and stutter and I, I couldn't talk to anybody at all. Uh, and, and it was that way for several years. I, I just couldn't hold a conversation because I was shunned for so long, like during my developmental years. But I, it's, I literally couldn't hold conversations. Like I, I couldn't, like, I didn't know how. It wasn't in my wheelhouse because I'd been shunned so long and hard. So now as an adult, looking back at, at those attempted conversations that people tried to have with you and, and you struggled through, it was different from, and I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but it, it was different from the SDA system because they, they were more than likely trying to be positive. They were trying to communicate with you and, and actually accept you and get to know you and, and be friendly towards you correct yeah they were trying to be friendly to me and, and i didn't know how to respond and it just was the weirdest most foreign thing to me the sad thing is if you bring this up in an adventist setting they're going to say well of course these people appeared to be being nice and friendly to you because the evil the sinners out there in the world they're gonna try and be cunning and and try and pretend to be nice to you to trick you to coming into their fold and away from the safety of the SDA church and our teachings and, and you know we keep you in our bubble where you're safe yeah yeah pretty much now at what point now you've switched school systems at what point did you did you stop was it a gradual decline out of the SDA church or was it just a hard cutoff Hard and mutual. And after that cutoff, after you left, have you had any major real interactions with people who are still very much involved with the SDA church? And if so, um, how have those conversations or interactions gone? Uh, only really one. And it was one of the few people that was an awful to me. Uh, but I can tell from my own actions and I can tell from how I mentally feel and how much better my mental well-being is and how much better I'm able to look and appear like somebody that doesn't have problems that, uh, you know, he's said it's like after getting back in touch with him after like several years, he said that it's like I'm a completely different person. Um, I, I went through another phase where my mental health went downhill for a while and uh, kind of had a falling out. But And that was related to a really, really horrible situ uh, work situation. Uh, have you ever heard the, the term, you know, you... You go to a mental asylum and it makes you more crazy. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of the work situa situation that led to my mental health just going downhill and our friendship deteriorating. But after having gotten out of, you know, anything to have ever done with uh, Adventism or anything to have ever done with the troubled teen system, and uh, that other horrible job, you know, as and and meeting my girlfriend, 
um, those factors combined. Uh, this is, I feel like that people would say it's like night and day again, how I acted then and how I act now. Just being away from all of those toxic, harmful factors made it that much easier for me to not act impulsively because I was desperate for my life to change. Well, the SDA church's approach on mental health issues, from what I've seen, is pretty much just uh, if you don't want people to know you have issues, don't act like you have issues and just keep it under wraps. No one needs to know. Just throwing gas on the fire. Yeah. And the SDA church doctrine and leadership is very much geared toward seek uh, resources from within the church. Don't get professional help for mental health because they might provide you with a worldly uh, opinion or a worldly view on things and, and try worldly techniques that would stray you away from the church. And there may not be a specific doctrine. I haven't looked that far into that specific issue. But even if there's nothing black and white on paper that says you shouldn't do it, if you bring up in the SDA church that you are seeking mental health help from a professional who is not affiliated with the SDA church, uh, you're, you're met with looks and glances, and it's very clear that that is not something that's accepted. Yeah, it's really disgusting that with their positive health image that they'll shun people trying to have positive mental health in any way other than just, you know, complete and absolute refuge in like church doctrine and brainwashing when that doesn't have answers to a lot of the more complex situations people encounter in life, like, you know, loneliness and wanting to, you know have a better social situation, socioeconomic situation, things like that. The, the biggest thing that helped my mental health and helped me, you know, not seem like weird or crazy anymore was getting away from it, you know? <laughs> like, I, I, people can't tell I have a disability or I'm mentally ill, like, unless they really, really get to know me now. And that's what I mean by, like, night and day. Like, when my mental health was trash, dealing with the Adventist church, the troubled teen industry, people could tell I was messed up in the head, you know, almost right off the bat. But the funny thing is, is that even though these people claimed they wanted to help me and claimed they wanted me to get better and all of these things, getting away from them for several years was really the only thing that fixed my mental health to the point where you can't really tell there's a problem with me on the surface anymore. Which is a good thing. Obviously, you've you've progressed a long ways, but it's unfortunate that you had to go through all that you went through to get to this point. If you had someone who was in the situation that you were in, that we've discussed, in front of you right now, what is something that you would say? Now, kind of, you know, maybe if they're a younger version of yourself or, or, or what have you, what's something that you would say to them right now as they're going through what you went through? 
Now, there are a lot of things I think I'd like to say to, like, my younger self or somebody in that situation, but... The thing that would have helped me the most back then that I would try to do to a person like that is try to be their friend. Because in my shoes, if somebody found out I was in an abusive situation outside of the Adventist life, or somebody gave me a reason to tell my social worker who abused me for being shunned by the Adventist church that, uh, I I've hung out with somebody today. I've made a friend. You know, he would have less ammo to attack me with, with his, you know, Elon school style mental manipulation attack therapy. Just, I, I would try to be a friend of that person so that they would be attacked less if they're in the same situation as me. And I would also, uh, not just be their friend so that they're not attacked, but I would also try to help them deal with a lot of the mental anguish they were going through. That that you said at the beginning there, that really sticks out to me that literally all it takes is for someone to take a minute to understand and try to be someone's friend. If you're a part of an organization like a church that has so many activities focused on youth and growth and development of younger people, you'd think that the adults would would have put more effort into being friends instead of being whatever they were. And that's not to say there there aren't some very good ones. My parents and, and some parents of some friends of mine were, were very good about, you know, connecting with us and actually caring. Um, it's, it, it is unfortunate that you went through what you went through, uh, and I'm sure there are many others who have very similar but yet drastically different stories out there. And I'm, I've been talking to some, and I'm going to talk to some more, and, and I, I'm extremely thankful to you for coming on here. We're, we're going to wrap things up. We're, we're running a little long on time for right now. I, I can't express to you how much I'm, I'm thankful that you reached out as an Internet stranger from Reddit to speak to me and, and have this conversation. So thank you. Thank you so very much. Thanks for listening to me. It was really nice getting this off of my chest. You're, you're very welcome, and thank you again for coming on. I would like to thank everyone who has reached out, just like Nero has, through Reddit, through uh, people I've messaged on various other platforms. Uh, I've seen posts about Adventism or ex-Adventism, TikTok, and some, some other places. And I assure you that if we have talked about you coming on, I am going to make arrangements. We'll figure it out. We'll get you on here. I've got some scheduled things moving around on my end, but I haven't forgotten you. Uh, but feel free to reach out again, or if you haven't reached out, please do. The email address you can reach me at is formersdapodcast at gmail.com. I try and reply promptly, quickly. There is an email sitting there that I got yesterday morning that I haven't yet replied to. Uh, and I, I apologize if you're listening to this, you probably got a reply already. 
Um, but if not, I I apologize. It'll it'll be there. I'm sure by the time this is posted uh, later tonight, it will it will have gotten a reply. This show is going to have some more serious episodes like this one, talking about some more heavy, serious subject matter. Still going to have some light ones, still going to have some banter back and forth like we had last week with Kay. So if if that's more your speed, if you're not really into the heavy stuff, don't worry. I'm going to keep it a mix because I understand there are different people out there who like to listen to different things. Next week's episode is going to be just me sitting and reading to you. I got a very long email from someone who I have been in touch with uh, back and forth, also through some of my Reddit posts in the uh, ex-Adventist sub, and I will be reading her story. The words you hear are going to just be hers. I'm simply the narrator reading the tale to you, and either the episode after that, or which would be episode five or episode six, I will be speaking with her. We'll be talking about some of those things. And Kay possibly will be joining us for that as well. So once again, special thanks to Nero. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to talk about the audio quality, you want to complain because you hate my voice, former SDA podcast at gmail.com. This has been episode three. I'm your host, M. Thank you for listening to I Was a Seventh-day Adventist.